The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi, hi, welcome. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and you are at The Visual Workplace. I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. Each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed our intelligence, the intelligence of our current operational system, into the living landscape of work through visual devices, visual mini-systems, visual solutions. How to install the current language of our operations, whatever that level is, and create a platform that is concrete and specific and made so because of the visual devices that we have invented to capture that intelligence, to capture that know-how and knowledge, meaning your specifications, your standard specifications, your standard procedures, your SOPs, your methods, capturing that through visual devices so that we can literally see how we think and we have a platform of function that is specific and that we can change an evolving platform. As we change our devices, we begin to weave a very tight net of control that includes our quality, our lead time, all the specifications of our work. And why do we bother? Why do we bother with the visual workplace? We bother because of the bottom line benefits. The improved safety, the better quality, the more aligned delivery time, the shrinking costs, the end of struggle. We bottom, we, we go after those. Those financial benefits, we expect them and we get them. A 15 to 30% increase in productivity. And we do it for the splendid cultural alignment, a spirited and engaged workforce, not just on the operator level, although that is cause for great celebration, but also supervisors, managers, and CEOs are aligned, spirited, and engaged. They have set the destination, and they are putting their shoulder to the wheel with others within their function and making their contribution a wonderful. And you know what? The third reason is we enjoy ourselves at work. We come to work and we enjoy ourselves. We look forward to it. It is, in fact, a learning institution, a learning process, a conscious 
enterprise that we are participating in and that we are building. We're a part of something greater, and we are also great ourselves. We are making important contributions. That's why we do the visual workplace. There are lots and lots and lots and lots of improvement methodologies out there today and for the last 30 or 40 years and in the far, far seeable future. Improvement is here to stay. Visuality makes a unique and I think very, very powerful contribution to the financial and cultural base of our business and industry. Where would we be without it? You go in, go down the street and remove the visuals that are there to guide you, to keep you safe and to keep your family members safe and the doggies and the cats safe to make good drivers out of all of us. Look at those visuals on our roadways. And then in your mind's eye, remove them. And let your imagination then describe what will happen in the aftermath. Chaos. And a lot, a lot of accidents. So visuality works the same way everywhere. It's there. It's our great partner to help us. But we have to make it so. It doesn't happen by accident. doesn't happen by magic. It happens through visual thinking. So welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> a few announcements, just a few. I am going to be going back to Mexico. I, I was kind of thinking I would. I am. And it looks as though we're going to uh, launch, in fact, prepare for a launch in January, going back in December, which is actually a very good time for preparation behind the scenes. Things are relatively quiet. And people don't have such divided attentions. So we'll work with the management team and with uh, the implementation team and get some of the parameters in place. Some of the very parameters that I'm speaking about in this particular series about the 25 leadership tasks that you have to have in place before you launch and keep consistent during the launch. And let's see, I'm going to be in the UK next week, and I'll be in San Francisco, and I'm telling you these things. We may, we may begin to work in a laboratory. I hope it happens in San Francisco, because that is a very interesting environment for bringing change to. Scientists are the quintessential entrepreneur. They know what they know, they know what they want, they know what they want to know, and they move forward. They acquire. They're kind of like barracudas. Everything look looks like lunch to them. <laughs> I'm doing a series on barracuda leadership in our newsletter. I hope you're reading it. And there's a lot of similarity because, you know, in visuality, we are creating self-leaders. So let's see if this laboratory happens. It should be very interesting. And, you know, I tell you these things because I want you to know that the world is waking up to the power of visuality to which we say hooray. Every time I give a keynote, every time I work on site, present a public seminar, do a conversion, I learn things. I learn many things. And I notice that I'm learning. And then I bring them back to you and to the evolving, emerging framework of principles and practices that I call the visual workplace, the technologies of the visual workplace. So I want you to know about my trips because I want you to know it is alive and it is growing. A lot of people mistakenly call it visual management. Visual management is a subset, but it is the practices and principles of the visual workplace. That's the umbrella. 
And yes, we're doing a U.S.-based public seminar in February, the very last week in Minnesota. The details are on our website. And I'm sending a shout out to Marley. Marley, I know I owe you a note, and I hope to see you in Minnesota. Please be there. And at the end of March, I'm going to be going to Australia for a number of weeks, probably three, maybe four, under the sponsorship of SIRF. And our guy there is Jeff Naylor, very, very capable, visionary uh, partner in the SIRF um, network. So please allow me to encourage you on our visual journey, on your visual journey, I should say, on your visual journey. There are many ways that we provide for you to get acquainted and get educated. These podcasts, these, this radio show is one of them. We have complete searchable podcasts on our website, visualworkplace.com. We also have three years of articles that are also completely searchable on our website, visualworkplace.com plus video clips, plus there's lots of things for you to buy that will help you from books to whole training systems online. And we also train train and certify your trainers through our school, the Visual Lean Institute. So please be in touch and please keep going and keep growing. So let's go to today. Today, We are continuing what I've been calling our March through the 25 leadership tasks that I consider core before you implement and as you implement to prepare for a successful visual outcome, visual conversion in many cases, and to support that along the way and make visual improvement outcomes sustainable. Visuality is your most powerful adherence or sustainment mechanism, but we also want the visual devices in that to be very powerful. And as we're going to talk about today, to continue to uh, emerge, to continue to evolve, to be continue to be more powerful, to be very, very effective. So you will... I think find many of these tasks very relevant. Some of them are optional in that you need to get permission through your management, for example, to spend the kind of money I was talking about last week or during our last show, I should say, to provide $50 a week to each area team. You're going to have to get some policy okay. But most of them are pretty much Um, organic. They are a part of what makes this go. In our last show, we looked at some very practical tasks. I called them humdrum tasks. Chop wood and carry water. You're familiar with that Zen saying, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. These are just mundane tasks, humdrum. This week, Oh, well, let me just name a couple of them so you can anchor them. One of them was to give a bag of money, $50, to your operators. Another one was to decide on your border, your floor border protocol, how you're going to get your borders to stick for a year, and yet you can change them overnight. You've got to develop a protocol for that. Another one from last week was develop your border color code system. Another one was to create 
visual workplace supply stations. So you have the things of invention at the fingertips of your operators if you're doing operator-led visuality. Another one was to create a bulletin board or a communication cube. And we put five or six examples of those in your basket, in your free bucket. If you are a member of visualworkplace.com, become a member, become a visual thinker, lots of free things. And last week we put in uh, pictures of communication cubes to kind of stimulate your thinking around that. I might have put in about six or seven, maybe as many as ten, but I know there are at least four. Okay? Practical tasks like that. These are getting ready to implement tasks. Today we're going into during your implementation. And these tasks are most especially for trainers who are also coaches and for others who are involved in keeping the implementation going and growing. These are going to be conceptual tasks. They're going to be principles of visuality. They're going to be the how. Those practical tasks that we talked about in our last show were really what? What am I supposed to do? What, what tasks? But today we're going to focus on so-called tasks that are more about the how, how to conduct yourself during an implementation, how to communicate, express, and model implementation values that will make your implementation more long-lasting. While you may hear these tasks as having a high cultural bias because we are talking about how do we conduct ourselves. They will have that. But they will also be the cornerstone, the very key, the very keys to how you turn visuality into a financial benefit. These are powerful principles for harnessing people's inventiveness. And the visual workplace is, in my experience, the most, the single most powerful process for cultivating inventiveness. If you conduct yourself in a particular way, in the way I'm going to be describing today, you will be able to reap that harvest, cultivating inventiveness and some other components which we'll talk about. Pay attention to the how. Don't skip these tasks. So I'm going to name them now, and then we'll go through them. These tasks, and as I say, they will appear right now as a list, but they're really a set of core principles that can really mess up things if you are not aware of them or not yet experienced enough to understand their importance. And here they go. This is, and we have 13 left. Here's the five. Then next week we'll hit the other eight, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Pay attention to beginnings. That's the first to actually take it on as a task to pay attention to the start of things. I'll say more in a moment. Not just the start of the implementation, but the start of things. Second one, handle big ideas wisely. Third, number three, balance eye-driven with consensus. Four, promote iterations, cultivate cycles. Five, don't standardize too soon. I talk about that a lot, I know. 
there's a great pull to make everything uniform. And it's not necessary. Things don't need to be uniform. They need to be effective. So let's start going through these tasks. Let's begin. Pay attention to the beginnings. One of my favorite phrases is this. It's the start that stops us. And I did several shows of this on this a few years back. And we talked about how how we begin things will often be the problem. But in fact, an implementation, which is always in jeopardy if you're not doing the right things, is always in jeopardy at the start because it's the start that stops us. Implementations are hard. And until you and your company get very, very good at it, things will not be easier at the beginning. They will be hard and tricky. People are learning during an implementation, but so are you. You're learning if you're a trainer, you're learning how to train, you're learning how to handle the materials, you're learning how to make emphasis, you're learning how to troubleshoot, you're learning, 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 and the people you're teaching are also learning. And you build in that time for people to learn. You begin to recognize the beginning of someone's learning. It will either be because of something they say or simply a person that they talk to that they've never talked to before and you notice it. You begin to see people grow and expand. You also see that they begin inventing, but sometimes in a very simple way, sometimes in a very ordinary way. And if we look at their ordinary beginning as something that is not positive, we will miss it. We'll miss the beginning. Mm-hmm. When, For example, many, many cases, when people put their foot upon the path of more robust visuality on the operator level, what I call 5S on steroids, they will often begin, for example, with the visual wear by putting a little border around their coffee cup. What the uninitiated, the new trainer, the new coach will miss is that this is a breakthrough beginning. They will also miss making much of it. They will miss calling attention to it if the person likes to have the spotlight shined upon them. And the trainer will also learn if the person doesn't like it. That'll be a beginning for that trainer. But the trainer will call attention to it. The supervisor perhaps will say, Wowzer, look at this. We've got a beginning here. Thank you very much, John Pacheco. Thank you for this beginning. And keep going. Let's see what else you have in your mind and in your inventiveness and your imagination. The kinds of results that we want at the beginning are beginnings. They're not outcomes yet. They are the foot upon the path. And so we avoid demanding results that are more finished, more complete at the beginning. And we make a policy for noticing the small changes, the small moves. It was one of the most wonderful parts of this movie I love so much called Contact 
with Jodie Foster. It was a, a Carl Sagan movie, his book. And in it, her father, who is a very important principal character, but we don't see him that often. But his father had this, this uh, expression saying, small moves, make small moves, small moves. She was scanning the night sky looking for extraterrestrial intelligence. That was the contact she was seeking. And he wanted her to keep going. And if she went too fast, she would skip whole universes, whole galaxies. So he just had her plodding through the universe, the the sky at night, making these small moves. I was impressed by that because it was such a huge task, one that she continued into her adult life in this movie. And it's like that with an implementation. We're creating something great, something of great magnitude and of great power and beauty. And we have to begin with these small moves. And you have to notice them. So you make much of beginnings. You train yourself to notice and to celebrate. Okay? So we'll continue after our first break, which is coming up right now. I'll be here when you get back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. listening to The Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. You're at the Visual Workplace, and we're in the second segment of our show today looking at another set of leadership tasks, leadership principles and practices that are aimed at building and sustaining your visual conversion. And today we're looking at some of the real value-based behaviors that you as a trainer coach and you as a supervisor if you're involved in the implementation you need to be the keeper of the flames on i began by talking about pay attention to the beginnings and i was saying to you you know there's a lot of pressure at the beginning of everything especially when the expectations are high especially when many eyes are upon you 
And what you need to do, even if you feel the pressure, is take the pressure off. You have to notice small things that are changing. You have to slow down so you can notice them. You have to build the front end. Take the pressure off. You have a very good methodology if you're using hours in the visual workplace and you have it for supervisors, you have it for operators, these are slightly different methodologies, you have it for your CEOs, but they're built on the same principles. And that those good methodologies, those sub-methodologies, will be an important guide for you. They're sturdy. Visuality is not about the devices. Visuality is about learning and applying a system of thinking. That's why it's got long life. So you task 13, I'll name it, but it was the first one we talked today, we talked about today. Task 13 is pay attention to beginnings. Task 14, the second we'll talk about today, is making sure that you handle the big ideas wisely. Because visuality is a system of thinking, it is built on principles. And because you're teaching and coaching and supporting principles, you're going to get ideas that are big and small from principles because that's the way it is with the principle. They're expandable. They can talk about, this is the uh, example that I like to use when I think about principles, the principle of be nice to your mother because this was a big principle in my mother's life with me. She, and anytime I kind of got off the rails, she would say, be nice to your mother. She was from Brooklyn. Be nice to your mother gingerbread she would say you have to be nice to your mother I'm your mother <laughs> and it was so it was just drilled into my head but that translated in so many ways it translated in small things getting her a cup of coffee making sure that it was cold because she liked cold coffee she didn't like hot coffee little things like that but it was also showing up for the holidays it was bigger things it was more of a commitment and it was also being there for her during the course of her life as a principle of my own behavior, my own commitment, how I used my resources. So these principles are expandable and shrinkable. The term that is used is they're scalable. And so you're going to get a lot of people applying principles that you're teaching and applying them in big ways. This is particularly the truth when we get to the part of operator-led visuality, 5S on steroids, that talks about smart placement. When we talk about flow, when we talk about the location of function will govern the flow. And people, for example, will see in their own work area that the flow of material is blocked by a wall. And they will say to you, let's move the wall. What they're doing is they are applying the principle more broadly than you perhaps expected. They are applying it outside of their locus of control. They are applying it so that they begin to interface with or bump up against the someone else's authority. 
probably your boss's authority or the authority of the head of engineering or of facilities. And you're in a funny little place, aren't you? Because you promoted principle-based thinking in the people whom you are teaching. And they're responding. They're getting it. They are presenting you with a big idea. It's really a hot potato. And you better handle it wisely. Because if you don't handle this idea that is beyond the control and authority of, for example, a team of machinists or even one machinist, you handle that poorly, they're going to notice. And they're going to say something like, wait a minute, you told me to use these principles and now you're saying that the thinking that results is not thinking that you support. The main way to handle big ideas wisely is to make sure that you identify this other principle that I mentioned in passing a moment ago, this principle of locus of control at the same time. And what you're saying in effect is we can all think of ways to improve our world, whether that world is in our home or in this business, in this company. But we may not have control over the resources that will allow us to implement our ideas. But I still want you to think this way. But I want you to know the way that we guard your locus of control, for example, operators, by not telling you what to do, is that you have to show the same respect to people who have a different locus of control, a different department, or even the whole plant, the layout of the plant. You may wisely want to change it, but it may not be within your control to change it. So I want you to know these things, this is you talking, beforehand, because I am about to teach you principles that have wide application and also very narrow application. And depending on who you are and what's eating your lunch, you're going to come up with ideas and many of them you'll be able to implement and will support you in that. And others of them will be interesting, but they will be beyond, be beyond your control. We call it locus of control. And you talk to them. You talk to people just like that. You are responsible for giving people reasons why their ideas have not been accepted. But you have to set that up beforehand so that they know when I'm in this particular thought pattern, I'm out of my locus of control and I may just be dreaming. I may not get results. You have to be you trainers, you supervisors. When you're working with your operators, especially, you have to make this very clear. You have to handle big ideas wisely. You can't dismiss them, but you also can't embrace them just because someone thought of them or even just because you think it's a good idea too. You can make small moves towards something like removing a wall, but there is no guarantee that it will happen. The idea may get very mature, but it still won't happen. So that's what this is about. And I say to you, you need to announce this particular one. 
you need to let people know what's guiding you, what your how is, how you're going to handle it when big ideas come. You announce it. And people will respect that and they'll accept that. They may still be grumpy, but they won't rise up and revolt against you, which I've seen when this has not been handled correctly. When we haven't taken the time on the front side to say, hey, our mind is huge and you may go into areas with these principles that you don't control. Go there. And play, but it's a sandbox. And someone else owns that part of the sandbox. We'll do other things, but we may not be able to do everything. That's it. So that's what I want to say. It is a values-based principle. It is a values-based behavior. It is your responsibility. Trainers, coaches, supervisors. And, you know, supervisors in our model don't do much at the beginning. It is the trainers and the coaches that set up the change and then hand that model, that shape over to supervisors. The trainers and coaches, which are usually the same people, and sometimes it's a single person, maybe it's two, maybe it's three, maybe it's ten, but they have this value set and they're very consistent. It is an intentional commitment. Let's move on to the next, which will be the third for today or number 15 on our list. And we will, I'll walk through the list of 25 when we do our final show, which will be our next show on this particular. So you can just kind of check it and we'll put this list in your members box at visualworkplace.com. Number 15, balance eye-driven and consensus. You know, because you've been listening for quite some time, that the engine behind the inventiveness that we create through visuality is the individual. The person who is learning the principles and passing those principles through their particular experience, personal history, imaginations, intelligent quotient, and they are coming up with ideas. Ideas are half of the change that we create when we do operator-led visuality. And, and, And in all cases, in all of our visual methodologies, half of the change is the imagination, the inventiveness. The other half is the protocol, the methodology. And these two run in parallel, and they create a kind of braid interacting with themselves. So even when we do the methodology of visuality, we talk about the importance of the individual. And we know that participation is always voluntary. And we make attendance mandatory. We say you have to show up. But you don't have to be creative. That's a choice. We're going to make it attractive to you. We're going to entice you and seduce you and stimulate your thinking and motivate you. But it's really up to you. You're in charge of your own will. And I'm not doing, I'm not presenting this idea to you because I think it's a good idea for us to think that way. I'm presenting it because it's the reality. Because people can show up and are supposed to and must show up for, for example, training sessions or for work or for their life but they don't need to engage deeply 
They just need to show up. The level of engagement, participation is up to each one of us. And I learned this the hard way by pushing, 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 trying to get people to do the same thing. This was in the 1980s. I learned. Passing that on to you. So the I-driven piece is simply a recognition of the reality that there is this powerful will inside of each of us. And let's harness it for the benefit of the individual so they can feel their strength, but also for the benefit of the company since the company is paying the wage and has made this contract saying, you do good work for us and we will help you in your own life in ways that are important to you. And one of that is the salary we make. So I-driven triggers a level of inventiveness when the person becomes ignited. When they're ignited, they just start generating these visual ideas and they also follow the methodology and they delve these methodologies to their depths. They explore them. They become scientists of the methodology. They become scientists of, and you'll recognize this word, motion, the footprint of the enemy. But when it comes time to sharing common areas in a workplace, how do you balance that point between eye-driven ideas and shared environment? How do you balance eye-driven with the need for consensus, the need for mutual agreement about what the next level is or what this device will look like behaviorally. You have to balance those points. I have said to you again and again, visuality is not exactly a team-based uh, exercise, a team-based conversion. Even though people will work in teams and work beautifully in teams, the emphasis is not to find the vanilla amongst us. The emphasis is to, in fact, harness the diversity. It's teams like that. It's teams made up of diverse individuals. But you need the individuals first. And so in visuality, when you have decision points that appear to be, for example, the use of shared environments, you have to be very careful not, for example, to resort to voting or to the loudest voice, or even a disguised form of voting would be, many people want this, but I want that. The many people want this is going to dampen my idea, take my idea away, and I'm going to have to give in, give up. Well, that can happen very gracefully. But if you make a battle out of getting people to say yes or people to give up, their ideas, you are going to be cutting your implementation short. So you have to walk carefully in this regard. And I've done a number of shows on balancing eye-driven and consensus, and I'm calling your attention to it now. It is a key, key how factor, how you conduct yourself and how you ask others to conduct themselves. So we listen, we appreciate, and we move to vanilla very, very slowly. The last task I'm going to be talking to you about today is don't standardize too soon, and it is this discussion. It's just another aspect of this discussion of standardizing 
meaning the consensus part, the common denominator, and the I-driven, which is the inventiveness part, and the part that keeps our spirit bright. We'll continue this discussion after our next break, which we are inevitably sliding into right now. I'll be here when you get back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. We're going to finish up our last two tasks for today in this last segment. So at the beginning, we talked about pay attention to small beginnings, pay attention to beginnings. That was task 13, the first one I spoke of today. Task 14, handle big ideas wisely. Don't overcommit, but also don't stop progress. Keep the ideas going and flowing. Task 15, which is the third, which I just finished scanning for you. Balance. Seek to balance. I-driven and consensus. The individual with the team. Task 16 is promote iterations and experimentation. And you're going to see great similarity. This is thematic. This is the theme we're building. This is an understanding, a set of principles that is getting a very rich environment in terms of visual solutions, but also a predictable environment in terms of methodology, following the protocol. You're running the two. You're following the methodology, which is getting you a predictable change in the condition of your physical workplace. And you're following inventiveness, which is making it very ripe, very juicy, with a lot of local solutions that are freely developed quickly, and then iterated upon. And that's what this task or this mindset is about, promoting iterations, experimentation. I said before, I'll say it again, visuality is not about devices. Visuality is about a system of thinking. We need iterations as people discover more and more about the problems, the struggles that they are facing because of the lack of information in the workplace 
people continue to um, attack that, continue to make inroads. They continue to make their devices more powerful. Mm. We promote cycling through a device and looking for ways to make it more powerful. Remember our three outcomes, the ones that the ones that I named for you when we started this series three shows ago. The very first leadership task was to name the expected outcomes, and this was for the ranking side executive. And those outcomes are create visuality in a showcase level. Our first outcome is let's have a visual showcase in this plant somewhere, a department. The second one is let's document the business benefit so that we know that there is one. Let's keep track of our bottom line results. And the third one was to develop an attitude of learning, to develop our capacity to tolerate, be flexible, be open, explore our world, look at the impact of what we're doing, open our minds, open our hearts. When we do iterations, which is this task, we are saying we're going to define what we think a good solution is and we're going to put it in place using those supplies that are handy. Maybe going out and spending some of that money you put in a, in a paper bag for us. I'm going to create a visual device that I think is pretty good, but then I'm going to watch it because I'm a scientist of my work. And even though my coach, you, came by and said to me, wow, Gwenny, that's really terrific. I know in the back of your mind, you're thinking like I'm thinking, is it? Is it terrific or is it just pretty good right now? I'm going to watch it and I'm going to see if the struggle that was caused by the information deficit that this visual solution was created to remove, to eliminate is really gone. Is it really gone? I'm going to watch. Ah, wait a minute. It's not really gone. I had this little kind of struggle this morning. I thought that this embedded visual device was going to get me a complete flow, but I stopped. I was in motion. I stopped my work because there was a minor information deficit, one I'd never seen before. I need to make this device more powerful. And I know I have 15 minutes of improvement time, which was leadership task number five, to create and publish an improvement time policy. I know I have 15 minutes of improvement time coming up at the end of today, and I'm going to work on this device. And while I'm waiting for that improvement time to show up, I'm not going to stop thinking about it. I know my work. It's repeatable work. I know how to do it. It doesn't consume my mind. I'm going to continue thinking. And when those 15 minutes come up at the end of the day, I'm going to have something to try out then. But even if I don't, I'll just sit down and think because I know it's in there somewhere. And we promote this cultivation of the individual and the individual's capability by saying, Good, really good device. Where are you going to go next? The expectation is of spirited engagement, 
of interest, the expectation is that people will come to work to think, not just to do their work, as our great friend Taichi Ono said about the people at Toyota. They come to think, not to work. Working is just what they do. Thinking is their glory. Expression is their glory. Contribution is their glory. So you cultivate good and what's next, iterative thinking, an environment of experimentation. And when you get to task 17, which is next, you don't standardize too soon. You don't even think about standardization as the outcome of this process of thinking. Because if, believe me, if there's anything that we are learning, and we're learning it right now in this country, people are evolving. And sometimes that looks messy, and sometimes it looks smooth. It looks smooth at places like the Olympics when people challenge for a game and they win. It doesn't look smooth if you're a gymnast and you're the one in the in the gym and you've just fallen on your face again. It's not smooth in the making. <laughs> and we usually promote the glory of the outcome. But if you're an implementer, if you're a practitioner, like me, like me, like you, like you, you know it gets messy. You can't standardize people's thinking. It'll always pop out. It can't be contained. It's too big. The mind and the heart aligned. Too big. It's always expressing. It's always seeking the next level. It's always seeking to understand. I sometimes say it as the mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism. The mind is always seeking the current pattern, and then using that understanding once it is achieved to seek the next level of pattern. Always. This is what's exciting about thinking. This is why I, like you, find the quiet moments when I can simply sit and be in a space that is appears to be without shape, but actually is powerfully seeking seeking greater peace or seeking a solution. It's very powerful in us. Harness it for your company. And so we don't standardize too soon. We make a point. This is the last task for today of not standardizing too soon because we know we will artificially put a stop to it. A stop to whatever the it is a stop to the process of seeking, of creating, of finding. But hear me carefully. I am a great fan, proponent, advocate for standard work. Totally important. I am a great supporter of standards for visuality, how it gets implemented. The example I use again and again is Every, sh- every cabinet that has more than one shelf and any cabinet without one shelf is just a box. So any cabinet will have arrows on the shelf to tell us 
in which direction the address that we put on the shelf, which you might call a label, I call it an address because addresses function, an arrow to tell us in which direction the address applies. That's what I mean by a standard. It is a way of configuring the information flow to minimize confusion. Every address will be readable at two feet. If it is on a desk or in a cabinet on a shelf, if it's on the floor, it'll be readable from four feet because I want to be able to read it standing or read it from my forklift. These are visual standards, and I am a great proponent. I beg your pardon. They're standards about visuality. I am a great proponent of that. I am a great proponent for capturing your standard specs, your technical specs in a visual format. So when I say don't standardize too soon, I don't, I'm not saying don't harness the power of standards. I'm saying don't standardize your devices too soon because they may need to go through another iteration to be able to perform for you better. And if you standardize too soon, you are saying enough. You may not be using those words, but you are saying stop. This is good enough. And I am repeating myself when I say the small adjustment that you make when you want to move to a kind of amplitude or hmm, criteria-based level of your visuality is you say, let's identify our visual best practices. Let's take the next week to identify maybe candidates for visual best practices and then let's nominate them and choose some. And you can have three visual best practices that are focused on quality. You won't have one. You'll have a set, an array. And you'll say, this is our best thinking so far. And it has this kind of variation in it, which is interesting. It's a little different over there in shipping than it is right here. Shipping in our department than it is over here on the incoming material, but this is our standard. Uh, I'm sorry, this is, I, I said the bad word. This is our visual best practice related to the handling of material. This is our language for it. And let's take a snapshot and let's build on it. Let's see if it wiggles. Let's see if we have driven all the information deficits out of this particular work content. But we're not standardizing it. We're not saying, let's make it uniform and, and identically repeatable. There is a huge resistance, natural resistance, to that level of formality and uniformity. It's tolerated in the military because your life is on the line and because of the level of risk and threat that such uniform behavior is built for in these extreme environments. But that too evolves. The whole military environment is evolving, even as I speak. So these five tasks that we went over today pretty much hold together as 
be careful with ideas. The big ones handled wisely and the small ones notice them, pay attention to the small beginnings, promote iterative thinking, promote experimentation, keep the ideas flowing. In parallel, you're implementing the protocol, the methodology of visuality, but in this very dynamic component of the visual conversion. Look at how you're handling these things so that the principles are guiding you to more and more effective visuality. That's what this is about. And this is a leadership task because it is universally needed throughout. It is on a very high level. I hope today was useful to you. We will complete this series during our next show. And in the meantime, this is Gwendolyn Gals with I'm signing off. Let the workplace speak. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.